Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. We are very excited to be with you today. Sorry if our voices are a little shot. We just got done screaming our heads off while BYU played Pacific. We're going to be recapping that game for you. We're going to be previewing the St. Mary's matchup, and we're going to have a nice discussion, pretty nice discussion, about the national championship game. It's time! It's here. Yes! It's an SEC matchup, which is honestly kind of painful, but it's still national championship football, and we're ready for it. We've prepared. We're ready to talk about it. Come listen to us right after this. Let's boo! Tigers. But that field judge on the far side is in their pocket, man. Go over here! Yes! Let's back this ruler. Yeah! Ah! Yes! Let's go wild, man. Let's, Let's go. go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We're at a waterfall, dude. Oh, Alrighty, welcome back everybody. I have an announcement to make. Uh, it has come to my attention that it is officially time for college basketball. Oh, that's, Col- a, that's a pretty big statement from Jared. Yeah, college basketball has officially started in my mind. I tried to watch some college basketball during football season, but it just felt wrong. Felt like when you're a little kid and you're like stealing cookies from the cookie jar, you know that you, if your mom was <laughs> home, she'd be yelling at you. That's how I felt. But now that college football is coming to an end, we got the national championship, we can finally start watching college basketball because Justin and I were going through like the net rankings and I was like, look, I'm like, Auburn? Texas? Like, what? What's going on? These teams that are playing really well, and honestly, I totally agree with you. During football season, watching basketball just feels unholy. Like, you're not supposed to be doing that. But now it's come to the point in time where we need to start making that transition. Of course, we were going to the home games because, you know, that's an event that you go to and it's fun as BYU. But it's finally time to start taking into consideration the entire basketball picture so that we can put together our own bracketology here <laughs> pretty soon. Stay tuned. Uh, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get started with the game that was Thursday night, BYU Pacific. First half was pretty rocky. Uh, not, I'm just going to be honest. Justin was like, when the first, was it, five minutes had passed? BYU had nine points. Justin's like, dude, nine points in five minutes is not good or something. And then... Like five minutes, we scored three points. Yeah, it was so bad. We scored nine points over the next twelve minutes. It was it was very rough. Uh, we were losing thirty-one to thirty, and then we had that awesome span right before the end of the half. Yeah, I don't even know what happened. We got the ball. Alex Barcelo had the ball. And around ten seconds left, Mark Pope clapped and said, "All right, go run your final play." Mar- and Alex Barcelo took a three with like three seconds left. Absolute money splashed it. Banger. That put us up two. And then for whatever reason, instead of just letting the clock run out, Pacific tries to inbound the ball, and Spencer Johnson's just standing right there, steals it, and lays it in before the buzzer. So we had a 5-0 run in literally five seconds. It was, it was amazing. And it was super electric, too. Like, yeah. That was the loudest anybody got the entire game. It woke up the crowd so much. The crowd was completely asleep, and like the whole crowd was like, what the heck is happening? Why are we this close with Pacific? Which, honestly, as a BYU fan, you should expect these things. <laughs> You should not expect to be blowing out Pacific in the first half because BYU historically has always been a second-half basketball team. So, 
I don't know what else you were expecting. I know, right? <laughs> uh, fun fact, Spencer Johnson had four points. <laughs> two, two of them were on that last deal. <laughs> oh, man. Spencer I think Johnson is a funny guy. He is. He played 24 minutes, which is like more than Caleb Lohner played and more than anybody else on the bench. And he only had four points. But let me tell you, I think Spencer Johnson is one of our best defensive players. He can ball He's on good. the defensive end. He keeps his feet in front of people. He's pes- He's pesky. Man, he really gets in people's heads because, I mean, look at him. If you just take one look at him, you're like, what is this scrawny white guy doing in front of me? Why, why is he on a Division One basketball court? But then he sticks with him. He yeah. plays well. And he, dude, I can tell, he's a trash talker. He <laughs> likes talking and he likes chirping. Yep. So, and he doesn't mind getting chirped at because he's probably been chirped at his whole life. Right. So, I mean, I love Spencer Johnson. He's great. Yeah, we love him. Um, Barcelo. He hit a thousand career points at BYU. Yep, in a BYU uniform, he is what the seventeenth person to do that. I absolutely don't not fact yet. check me on that. But he's not the first, not the tenth. He's somewhere between the tenth and twentieth person to do that. Probably, I couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> he finished with fifteen points. You know, it was a decent night for him. It wasn't like earth shattering. He went four of seven from three, which. Is pretty good. That is a bonus because he has been struggling from the three point line as of recently. Yeah, and so is our team, honestly. But we went 12 of 25 this game. Yeah. We started out one, I know at one point we were one of seven. Yes. So that was not very good. But then we started getting hot. In the second half, we started scoring. And that's what allowed us to pull away and end up taking away this victory 73 to 51. 22 points. We covered the spread. Yeah, we did, which I didn't think. Me and Justin live bet it, obviously. Uh, on the app that you can live bet in the stadium, you know, the Caesar Sportsbook in the Marriott Center. <laughs> and Justin won. He bet that we would cover. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me this game was Foos and his presence in the in, in the paint. Because we looked at the starting line of Pacific. We're like, oh my gosh, they've got these super big guys, you know, like that number 10 guy or whatever, super yeah. tall, super big. And we're like, oh boy, an athletic forward. We're done. Yep. But Foos played so good on defense. He was incredible. He had three blocks, 12 points, 11 rebounds. And he really, like, even when he wasn't blocking their shots, he was affecting the big men's shots in all sorts of ways. And they really didn't have a lot to... They couldn't put up a lot of points from that position. Their center, zero points. Let me correct you there, Jared. He did not have three blocks. He had three monster blocks. Those were not just little tips. Those were volleyball spikes, man. Like, he was killing those balls. Man, so he is really good. One of the best parts about him is he forces the big men out of the paint. He is very strong, very solid. That's something Caleb Lohner, he gets back down, I've noticed, pretty easily. Caleb Lohner's a big, strong guy, but for whatever reason, he just gets back down. Foose stays wide, stays low, does not leave his position. So the big men have to shoot from further out, which they're not as comfortable doing. And it forces them to play a game that they don't want to play. That's why I love Foo so much on the defensive end. Yeah, that's huge for BYU too because we haven't really had a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Like, Yoli could be physical at times, but he wasn't always... When he wanted to. Exactly. But at the same time, Yoli was around at the same time that Gonzaga had like 7 foot, 350 pound centers. Yes. So, I mean, I guess it's not all Yoli's fault, but... But, yeah. And then taking like last year, Matt Harms, he's the exact opposite of this. <laughs> He would get back down by point guards. <laughs> you breathe on him and he's falling over. We love you, Matt Harms. We loved Matt Harms. He was. We loved having him on our team. He's a funny character. Great, but, but Foose is like it's a fr- it's a breath of fresh air with Foose because he's a he's a big physical like 
I, I was about to say down lineman, but he's not a down <laughs> lineman. Probably could be. He'd be a defensive end. Breath of yeah. freshman air. Let's remember, yes. he is a true freshman. This kid is, what, 18 years old? We've seen each other. He's 18 years old. Six foot six. Literally four inches shorter than most of the people that he's playing against. But with his insane reach that he has, because his arms are long. He big he's thing. putting up these shots, these little hook shots, protecting the ball. He understands he's shorter. He protects the ball. And he makes them. Dude is so good. Yeah. And he made like a 17-foot jump shot too. <laughs> Shout out the booze. And just like no, didn't think about it one bit. He just caught it at the top of the key. Just like, I'm shooting this. Boom. Drain it. Booze. He's averaging eight points a game this season, which I think is pretty incredible. Yeah. That's he had a double-double. I'm not sure exactly how many rebounds, but I know at one point he had 15 points, 11 rebounds. Not sure what he ended with, but a double-double for Foose. Double-double for Foose. Yeah. It's... it's it's impressive, really, what he's doing as a freshman. It's impressive. Um, after each basketball game, we're going to start doing this. It's called Smiley Face, Frowny Face. Mm-hmm. And each of us is going to take one of them. I have the Smiley Face today. My Smiley Face goes to the second half turnaround for the game. Clap it up for Mark Pope. Whatever he said in the locker room, probably like Ryan Day in the locker room. Bah, bah, bah. Give him some slaps, some cachetadas. <laughs> Uh, let me just read you some stats that kind of tell you about the second half turnaround. BYU first half points 35, second half points 38. Okay. So uh, an improvement, not great improvement, but yeah. Pacific first half points 31, Pacific second half points 20. Now that is better. That's minus 11. That's pretty great. BYU had four threes in the first half, eight threes in the second half. Not bad. Pacific had six threes in the first half and one in the second half. Our defense just clamped down, and our offense just kept shooting and actually found a rhythm, and that's something I'm very impressed with. Yeah, it seems like in the second half we actually played defense. Because yeah. in the first half we were just giving them wide-open shots and saying, oh, they're Pacific, they're going to miss it. Which, to our credit, they did a lot. Yes. <laughs> they really did. <laughs> but then that one shooter that they have that has a release oh literally quicker than the speed of light, he was just, dude, he was just splashing it. He was splashing. All right, was I he- got the frowny face. There, there's always a frowny face with BYU basketball. Turnovers, turnovers, Ugh. turnovers. Not again. We ended the game with 17 turnovers, and let's not think, okay, our scrubs came in, there were garbage time turnovers. Our scrubs didn't turn over once. Nope. <laughs> we had 17 turnovers, and that was like with five minutes left in the second half. That is way too many turnovers. If we are playing a semi-average team, not even a semi-decent team, a semi-average team, and we turn the ball over 17 times, we are losing by 10-plus points. Can you imagine if we turn the, ball seven, turn the ball over 17 times against Gonzaga? Oh, my goodness. It's a wrap. We're losing by 30. Yeah, and like even with the second-half turnaround, that's not going to matter if you're down by 30 at halftime. Yeah. Right? Because, and yeah, turnovers are a big problem. To BYU's credit, not a ton of them were live ball turnovers. Live ball turnovers are infinitely worse yes. than dead ball turnovers. But still, 17 turnovers, way too much. Yeah, that's still... It's too bad. Like, Pacific is 299th in net. Right? If we're in a close game with Pacific at halftime because of turnovers, could you... Like like you said, we're going to be down 30 to Gonzaga. Yep. So, definitely got to clean that one up, Cougs. Especially before this next game. Yeah, because uh, who do we play next on the schedule? Just, you know, our second game in conference happens to be the St. Mary's Gales. Our arch rival. The Randy Bennett's. 
<laughs> Can't even speak his name without puking in a little bit in my mouth. Ugh, just imagining his chubby little face. Mm. Uh, let's do a quick resume check. After the win, BYU moves up to an eight seed in Lenardi. Not bad. Playing nine seed Indiana. Ooh, that's... That would be that would be an uh, interesting matchup to I, see. Yeah, I think Indiana is one of those teams that will drop to a bad team, but then beat Ohio State, yeah. which they did last night. Right, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to throw that more in Indiana or Ohio State because that's very classic of Ohio State to do. Yeah, probably Ohio State. <laughs> in CBS, Jerry Palm has BYU as a nine seed as well versus number eight Kentucky. So we're on the eight nine line ish, right? Yeah. Right, kind of in that range. Good place to be. Yeah, unless your one seed is Baylor, which in both of our in both of Jerry Palm and Lenardi, we were both playing Baylor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's not good. We don't want to. We don't want to see Baylor in the second round. That is not like the team that we want to see. I think if we want to see a one seed, they're not going to put us in the same bracket as Gonzaga. I would so love that. I would go for Kansas right now. That's the one seed that I would think. Is the is the most vulnerable? I would say the Kansas or Duke, just because I've seen Duke lose to Ohio State, and I know that Ohio <laughs> State is not a good basketball team. Okay. So there's hope there. Uh, bracket bracket matrix. Uh, if you guys don't know what bracket matrix is, it's a for beautiful listeners, website. It's beautiful. It takes into account like all of the bracketologies out there, and combines them all into one and synthesizes them. And it has us as the top nine seed. Just like one away from becoming an eight seed, so kind of puts that in perspective. Uh, in net, we're thirty, and Ken Palmer twenty six. So we're kind of we're sitting good for right now. Yeah, we're sitting really well. I think we're gonna move up as we keep winning games. If we beat St. Mary's, I wouldn't be surprised if we move in to the top thirty, like not just thirty, but twenty six, twenty seven in net. Mm-hmm. If we keep winning, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up being a 25 and end up being a quad one for a lot of these teams. I would love that. And BYU definitely, if we can just not lose to bad teams, we can definitely do it. Absolutely, we can. Maybe BYU will do that thing at the end of the year that it always does where it just, under Mark Pope at least, where it just sneaks into the top 25 and ends up being, you know, (laughs) ends the season on a five-game win streak against Pacific, Pepperdine, LMU twice, and... And throw St. Mary's in there. Yeah, and random St. Mary's in there. That randomly bumps us up to 18 by the time it's election Sunday. Yep, and then we end uh, up a 6 seed, and we lose to an 11 seed. <laughs> that ends up going to the Final Four <laughs> and losing in overtime to Gonzaga. Yes. I just UCLA, remember, man. Dude, I just remember got screwed. that Jalen Suggs, like... Buzzer beater. Half court buzzer beater. Yeah. Jumps up on the table. That was crazy. Ah. Okay, anyway. Speaking of half court shots, shout out to the guy at the BYU game that made his Uh shot for $8,000. Yes, Colton Potter actually worked with him at BYU TV. That's a lot of money that he just got. (laughs) BYU TV keeping the money within the industry? Oh, nepotism. That's minus. Oh. (laughs) All right. On to St. Mary's because this is a big game. Huge game. And it's crazy that we're getting it this early in conference play. Yeah. It's huge, huge game. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. It'll really tell us where we're at. Uh, St. Mary's has played a lot of the same teams that we have played. Mm-hmm. They have played San Diego State. They have played Utah State. They have played Missouri State. They played Oregon. They played Oregon. And they have a pretty similar record. They beat USU by one. 
Mm-hmm. They beat Oregon by like 10 or 12. 12, yeah. They beat Missouri State by, I want to say... 17. Okay, yeah, 17. And they lost to San Diego State by 10. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Uh, it's very interesting to me to see how they can do better against some teams, do worse against other teams, regardless of the, the arena. Uh, I'm glad that the game is going to be in Provo because mm-hmm. that's going to give BYU a huge, huge leg up as it always does in Mary Center. Absolutely, the Rock is something special. I mean, when Pacific—I mean, not—it's not saying a whole ton because it's Pacific, but when Pacific <laughs> started facing the Rock and shooting their free throws, they missed their first three, back to back to back. So shout out to the Rock for that. <laughs> I know there was some concern because St. Mary's had to cancel their Thursday game uh, because of COVID-19 within their own program. There was concern that the game was going to be canceled. But Mark Pope said Thursday night that the Saturday game is on. Woohoo! He said, and I quote, We've got 100% confirmation from this morning at 11.15 a.m. that their equipment manager is packing their dark uniforms and it's a go. He said, We're good. Let's go, man. Of course. Classic Mark Pope. <laughs> Classic Mark Pope. Uh, I, I'm happy that this game is being played. I just hope that BYU is ready because it's very early in conference play. Conference games are always harder. You know, people are scrapping because it always means something. This is our real, like our first real conference test. Yep. I just, I hope we're ready for it. And historically, this has always been a really close game. Mm-hmm. There has been some like outliers out there where we've won by 10 or 12 on a down year or something like that, or they've beaten us. But most of these games have been decided by two or three shots. One, two, three shots. Like, the last three games that come to my remembrance, Delhi, right? <laughs> hate you, Del Vadova. hate that guy. Um, but next, the Jordan Ford Seder guy yeah. in the West Coast Conference Tournament. And then, I don't know why they're all losses, but the 2019 game where Dalton Nixon passed the ball with .3 seconds left instead of taking a three to tie it. Let me remind you of last year. We went 2-0 against St. Mary's. That's true. That's true. So that's a very good one. And then we have beaten St. Mary's in Provo in the past. Uh, with That year with TJ Haas. TJ Haas hit a re- very clutch oh, bucket of the Oh, that was awesome. Hand. That's where his like, gremlin like, stare, snarl. snarl thing. <laughs> that awesome picture. That's where it comes from. So honestly, I think I'm going to post that picture yes. without any context. No context. Maybe today. Who knows? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So let's talk about what... ESPN's metrics have this game going like? Uh, so the BPI, the Basketball Power Index, which is who knows how accurate, uh, gives us 63, 66.3% chance to win. And ESPN's team rankings, which like calculates each team's projected score, has BYU winning by 3.7 points. So pretty close, I would say, but BYU is favored to win. Yeah, and I think the spread will likely be somewhere close to that. Last year in Provo, the spread was BYU minus one. Wow. So, I mean, they're always close games, like we said. They're always close games. They're always fun. We'll see what happens. St. Mary's resume, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, how they've played teams that we have played. Uh, let's talk about, first, their coach is literally Satan himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not speak of Randy Ben Satan. Uh, don't like him. Yep. I don't like him. At he all. was in my dream last night. This is totally true. I'm not just making this up on the spot. He was in my dream last night, cackling like a witch. <laughs> no, he wasn't. But he definitely is that kind of person. Randy, geez, I don't know what it is about Randy Bennett, but man, just gives me bad vibes. Yeah. It and it and I, yeah. 
and he beats us, and his smug little smile and his chubby little bald face. Ah! He's bald. We don't like him. Just saying. <laughs> okay, okay. okay, back to the resume. Uh, St. Mary's is 43 in net and 33 in Ken Palm. Not bad. And uh, we kind of went over some of their things. They've beaten a lot of teams we have except for San Diego State. They lost by 10 to them on a neutral court, whereas we played them at home. Right. Could be the difference. And they lost at Colorado State by 16. Apparently Colorado State is good at basketball. Undefeated. That's They are still undefeated, if I'm not mistaken, unless they lost last night, which I don't think they did. I think they are still undefeated. They are currently one of, 10-0. One of three remaining undefeated teams in NCAA men's. Them, USC, USC. and... Yeah, USC. And Baylor. Yeah, you, I mean, USC really hasn't played a whole ton, but yeah, Baylor... So, is a team going to go undefeated this year? Can Baylor do it? USC won't. <laughs> Baylor, I don't think, will either. They'll probably they drop They're playing too hard of a two. conference. There's no way they're going undefeated in, in Big 12 play, right? Yeah, exactly. Colorado State, I don't think, was undefeated. <laughs> you imagine them winning the national championship? Goodness gracious. Dude. It'll, it'll be like my NCAA 13 football <laughs> where, for whatever reason, it thinks Colorado State is good. <laughs> Dude, we would freaking drive over to Boulder or wherever the heck Colorado State is just to enjoy the festivities. Oh, heck yeah. Let's look at that. Where is Colorado State? It is in Fort Collins. Fort Collins. Let's see. Uh, how, how far of a drive is that? Yeah, that's what I'm figuring out. Hey, Siri, how long would it take for me to drive to Fort Collins, Colorado? Traffic to Fort Collins is light. So I'm estimating seven hours and thirteen minutes via I eighty east. Okay. Not bad. I mean, Not it's kind of like driving to California. So yeah, might as well drive over there. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay. We're rooting for you, Colorado State. Um, <laughs> unless you play BYU. Unless yeah, and then sadly you're done. Okay, let's talk about St. Mary's again. Uh, St. Mary's is returning literally everyone from last year. Not a single person graduated. Not a single person left. They are returning everyone. Have a very very experienced program. I feel like we say that about them every year, right? Yeah. Like that's just St. Mary's basketball. Yeah. Like no one on their team is really actually good, but they're just a great team. Play super scrappy, super physical, and they get the job done. I think Randy Bennett like casts some sort of spell or charm on them or mm-hmm. something. Because why w- would I want to stay and play for Randy Bennett for four years? <laughs> Heck nope. No. <laughs> nope. Okay. Quick note about uh. Sorry, going on a tangent again. <laughs> Quick note about St. Mary's. If you just look up like their roster and just look at the pictures of all of their players, it's it's a clown show. Like it's hilarious. <laughs> I, like just looking at some of these guys, like the Task guy, he looks like a German soccer player. Yeah, he does. Kay Bowen looks like who who does he look like? Uh, Napoleon Dynamite mixed with um. Oh, you know what he looks like? What? He looks like uh, Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride. That's what he looks like. <laughs> okay. And then you have the Kusi guy whose head looks like it's upside down because he has all the hair on his chin instead of on his head. <laughs> yep. And then you got this Johnson guy who we have another satyr on the team. St. <laughs> Mary's always has a satyr looking dude. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Sorry. And Augustus Marciolonis or something like that. Marciolonis? It just looks what does super, he look like? He's just super skinny and kind of looks like Chet Holgram. <laughs> oh, yep. Oh, he's got the Matt Harms hair. And he's got like the gross like stubble that's like patchy on his chin. 
Dude, shout out to him. Dude, his dad is a Hall of Famer. So, oh, I, I didn't know. Played for the Golden State Warriors. Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> back to back what to actually matters. matters. Four of their players average double digits, and the leading one is this Michael Tass guy. Michael Tass or is Matthias a four- Tass. Oh, sorry, yeah, you're right. Uh, Matthias Tass is absolutely a force to be reckoned with. He is a center. He's six foot ten. Very good ball skills. Very good fundamentals. He's averaging 12.5 points per game as a center. He's six foot ten. Foose, who will be guarding him, six foot six. That's and four inches. Yeah, and they both weigh the same, so it's not like this task guy is gonna have a lot of beef or uh, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, he's not just like tall and skinny. Right. Like, he he still weighs 250 pounds. Yep. He's still a big dude. So he's someone that's very good. They also have another forward who averages over 10 points a game. They have a couple guards. This team is very balanced. There is not one person that scores a lot more than the others. They move the ball. They share the ball. This is a team that cares about winning. It's it's a team. It's not just five guys on the court. It's a team. And their offense runs almost exclusively through their big men in an inside-out system. Which is bad for BYU because our only big men are Foose and Atiki. If one of them gets in foul trouble, we're going to have to put Loner down there. Loner was in foul trouble last night against Pacific, so I don't... It's going to be an interesting matchup. That's my matchup to watch is the inside game, right? Post on post. Yeah, I mean, we're really going to have to play very well against St. Mary's because St. Mary's has the number 12 defense in the nation. Wow. They only give up 58.1 points per game. That's incredible. It is very, very good. We out-rebound them. But it's also because we tend to take more shots than St. Mary's does yeah. on a given game. That's true. That's very true. I am worried about this game because not only the inside matchup, but also because of the physicality of St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. I remember I was listening to the Pope show uh, last year, and they were talking about how BOU went into Moraga, got the first win in Moraga in a long time, right? Is that where they played? It's Moraga. Yeah, right? Moraga. Yeah. And they got like the first win there in seven years, right? And Coach Pope was talking about how he reached out to old players like Elijah Bryant and Matt Carlino and these teams, the last the people that had been on the team last time they beat St. Mary's there. And one of the things, I think it was Matt Carlino, I'm not sure, but he said, you need to talk to the team about physicality because St. Mary's is the most physical team they've ever played, right? They're gritty on defense. They're in your face. They're playing deny ball. They're grabbing your pants. They're grabbing your shirt. You know, they're bodying you. And that's that can throw you off from the start, and it won't let you get in rhythm. And mm-hmm. so you kind of have to play this rhythmless game with them, and that's to their advantage. Yeah, that's know exactly if, what they want. Yeah, and I don't know if BYU's done that this year. I don't know if we can do that. I mean, it's kind of what we did against San Diego State. San Diego State was kind of a rhythmless game. It was back and forth. San Diego State was very aggressive, and we matched their physicality. That's exactly what we need to do. The benefit is we're playing at home. So we'll have the whole student section, probably a sold-out crowd. Hope so. Fingers crossed. Behind our team supporting them. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a fun one for sure. It's going to come. I'm going to say it's decided by single digits, probably six or less points. Yeah, I have to agree. I think it's going to be decided by seven or eight points. Yeah. And are you winning? I say yes. Okay, me too. I think we can do it. Although I don't know if we can do it, but I think we can. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Still not know, but pretty sure. What's key to the game in your opinion? Key to the game is keeping uh, St. Mary's big men out of the paint. Foose, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Foose has the ability to do that. 
But if Foose gets in foul trouble, I see very few ways that we win this game. Yeah. I think my key to the game, I agree with you, you keep them out of the paint, right? Don't let them get those easy baskets. I think my key to the game is don't turn the ball over. Yeah. We're not going to win the game if we have empty possessions against them, right? Because that, that's what they want to do. Yeah. They just want to win by a possession, and that's all they want. Exactly. So do not turn the ball over. All right, let's move on to the sport that we all love, college football. <sighs> the best sport on the planet. Yep. Nothing better than college football. There is nothing. We have the college football playoff national championship game against the University of Alabama, number one, and number two, University of Georgia. See? Or three? No, number two. I think. Number two. Or was it three? I think they're three. Michigan was two. Yeah. Anyway, doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, when I first saw this, I was very mad. I don't like the SEC. The SEC has two teams in the thing. Blah, blah, blah. They kind of earned their way to get here. Let's These be These are the best two teams. Yeah. And we can't argue that. Michigan and Cincinnati both had a chance to prove it, and they didn't do it. Right? And but that's what... shut up. Exactly. I, there's nothing you can say after that, right? Especially yeah. after losing the way they did. Yeah. So... Cincy's loss was respectable. Michigan's wasn't. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cincy's offense was just... Despicable. It was yeah. horrendous. But their defense played more than well enough to win, right? Yeah. They played fantastic. Michigan, on the other hand, just didn't show up. Yeah. Anyway, back to these two teams. What are the narratives kind of going into this game for each team? I mean, the narrative is Georgia, with their coach Kirby Smart, who is 0-4 against Nick Saban, can Georgia beat Alabama? Because they've had leads, I think, in three of the last four games that they've played. And Kirby Smart has choked it away, getting outcoached by Nick Saban. I'm pretty sure they've had double-digit leads yeah. in all of the last games. Yeah. And, yeah, they, they choke it away. They can't do it. Now, there is another narrative out there that I think it's only six times in the history of college football that two top-five teams that were top-five when they played each other once have played each other again as top five opponents. Oh, wow. That makes sense. So they were top five when they played the first time, top five when they played the second time. Okay, kind of like Clemson-Notre Dame last year. Exactly. In every single one of those instances thus far, the team that lost the first game has won the second game. Oh! It's hard to beat a good team twice. Hard to beat a good team twice. <sighs> so the question is, Can Nick Sab- is Nick Saban so good that he can beat the same top few... Top five team twice in one season. Nick Saban can absolutely do it. Will Kirby Smart respond and react? <laughs> that is the question that is weighing on everyone's mind. I feel like we totally are on the same page with this. That everything hinges on Kirby Smart in Georgia. Alabama, yeah. we know exactly what we're going to get from Alabama, right? Yeah. They're going to want to do a little bit of running, and then we're going to want to get Bryce Young and Jamison Williams involved in the pass game, and then they're going to be physical, and they're going to get in your face and bring pressure on defense. Right? Yeah. And it's just whether Georgia wants to play their game or not. All right, so Jared, what is Georgia's game? What are the keys for Georgia to have success? Okay, so watching the Alabama-Auburn game, okay, and even the Alabama-LSU game, those two teams, LSU and Auburn, did one thing that no other team did like the entire season. They made Bryce Young uncomfortable. They brought pressure got in his face, forced him to make decisions quicker, and they sacked him if 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 he didn't make those decisions. That is the only way you're going to beat him. 
if you think back to the SEC championship game, what did Georgia do? They didn't bring pressure. They dropped guys into coverage. They pulled in Elisa Tuiaki and thought dropping more guys in coverage means that passing yards are going to be limited. Guess what? You lost by 20. Yep. I, I think of it in the same way that I think of Ohio State versus Michigan State and Michigan, right? Ohio State, what did they do to Michigan State? They beat them 54-7 or 56-7. But when they played Michigan, they only scored 27 points. That's less than half, right? It was because Michigan got in Stroud's face. They forced him to make faster throws. They didn't let him unload deep. And they got to him, sacked him if he didn't make those quick decisions. If Georgia wants to win this game, they need to put pressure on Bryce Young. They cannot sit back and hope their DBs contain Jamison Williams in that offense. Yeah, I'm, honestly, I completely agree with you. I'm going to get on a soapbox right here. All right. Doo-doo-doo. I think Georgia can win this football game. I do think that they have the talent to do it. They have, I'd say they have a more talented roster than Alabama, even. Sure. This is what's going to happen. This is what needs to happen for Georgia to win. Georgia needs to throw multiple defensive look at this Alabama offense. We need Georgia to primarily play, however, cover zero. Let's not forget that Georgia went up 10-0 in the last time that they played, but then they gave up 24 points in the second quarter. In one quarter. They could not recover from that. Georgia cannot get down big early again because their offense is not built to engineer comebacks. Not at all. Their offense is built to manage the clock, score on long drives, and break down the other team systematically. Mm -hmm. So what can they do? Like I said, play cover zero. Now, for our listeners that don't know football type, what is cover zero? Cover zero is when you do not drop into a zone coverage, but instead you play pure man-to-man coverage and football. It's basically like instead of just dropping back and having a general area that you defend, maybe like in some soccer strategies, if you're more familiar with that, or basketball zone strategies, it's man-to-man. You have one person that you guard, and you have to stick with them. Now that is cover zero. Georgia played a high amount of cover two zone against Bama in the first matchup, and Bryce Young picked it apart. Which cover two means you got two safeties deep, and then people underneath those two safeties playing zone, like you said. Exactly. It is hard for you to get pressure while running a cover two. It is. Bryce Young was rushed 14 times because Georgia did play a little bit of cover zero, but zero of those 14 times was he sacked. In a man cover zero, which Georgia absolutely has the personnel to do, Good safeties, good corners, good linebackers, a good defensive system. A cover zero allows for an extra rusher and will allow Georgia to get more pressure and fluster Bryce Young. Let's take a look at the past few games. Georgia, uh, sorry, Alabama against Auburn. Their, Alabama's offense really struggled. Why? Auburn ran cover zero. It's not something that a lot of teams have played against Alabama because they simply don't have the athletes to compete. Or they don't compete. think they have the athletes. Or yeah, they yeah. don't think they have the athletes. Let's look at Cincy. Cincy played a lot of cover zero against uh, against Alabama. Did Bryce Young look good against Cincy? No. He didn't. He looked like a mortal. He was flustered. He was throwing the ball away. He was throwing the ball behind receivers. Bryce Young was pressured and he struggled. Cincy played a lot of cover zero and it worked very well for them. They only allowed one, one pass for more than 16 yards. And it was when one of their star corners got hurt and a backup came in and Bama picked on that backup. Which Nick Saban will do to you every time. Absolutely. The problem with Cincy is that they did not have the personnel to stop the run. What's Georgia's strength? It's the run defense. Georgia can stop the run. 
If they just sit back and zone, Bryce Young will pick it apart. Picking apart a cover two is not hard to do for an experienced quarterback. All you have to do is see where the linebackers split. Yep. Wait for your wait for your wide receiver to get to a spot and throw it to that and spot. And you need you need just like four or five seconds, right? You need a little bit more time. Exactly. They're just the offense is just going to run crossing routes. The linebackers are going to split. They're going to hit somebody time right in the middle. Sit in the zone. Happens to BYU literally every <laughs> single down. All you have. Uh, sorry, uh, Georgia needs to mix in cover zero. Zone blitz, some cover two, because obviously you can't just run cover zero the entire game because your defense will get gassed and other formations. It may involve Alabama running more and running the ball better. But that plays to Georgia's strength because Alabama will not be able to score quickly, get ahead quickly, and take Georgia's offense out of the game. I 1,000% agree. I'm off my soapbox. But you nailed it right on the head, right? And Georgia knows this. They knew this going into the SEC championship game, and they did not do it. Now they got one more game to look at it and be like, wait, how did Cincy keep Bryce Young to only like just... A, 188 a, yards passing. Not even 200 yards for the Heisman winner. Okay? They know what they need to do. They have the personnel to do it. You just can't give Bryce Young four to five seconds to throw the ball. You can't do it. Exactly. And what do you do? That means you press man. That means you bring an extra rusher. You get to him so he only has one and a half, two seconds to throw the ball. And your DBs can hold up for that long, right? A, a good DB can hold up for two seconds. At if least. we're being honest, right, in man coverage. Yeah, normally wide receivers don't break. At least if they're going deep, they don't break into a deep route at least three or four seconds into their route. So Right. And, like, the quarterback, like, speaking as a defensive back... It's the hardest position to play on the football field. Corner is absolutely the hardest position to play in football. Right. And if you play 100 plays and you give a wide receiver five seconds to beat his corner, I bet you 98 out of those 100 times the wide receiver is going to win. Yeah. Unless it's Sauce Gardner. Yeah. (laughs) Unless it's somebody crazy. But if Georgia can get pressure and force Bryce Young to throw the ball within those two seconds that the cornerbacks are in the fight... They can win the game. Mm-hmm. Now, Justin, what are your keys to the game for Alabama then? On the other side of that coin, what does Alabama need to do to win the game? It's the exact opposite. Alabama needs to speed up the game. Push the ball down the field and score quickly. Georgia will not be able to compete if they do that. Play solid defense and make Stetson Bennett uncomfortable because when Stetson Bennett is uncomfortable, he makes bad decisions and does not throw the ball very well. With Mechie out, Bama is going to have to find a new red zone threat and execute. Because Bama is not great, despite what you might think, it's Alabama. They are not great in the red zone. They've actually struggled in the red zone throughout the majority of the year. And Mechie was Young's number one red zone target. They have the athleticism. They have the personnel to really succeed in the red zone. They have athletes. Let them run wild. Let them run free. And they will tire down Georgia. I like it. For me, it's very simple. Your head coach is just this guy... His name is Nick Saban. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm. He's essentially the greatest college football head coach that any of us have seen in our lifetimes. Um, you should probably listen to him, I'm guessing, right? I, he's won a couple national titles before. I Yeah, who's that Nick Sa- He He like, coached at like, Toledo or something, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some also, he's Navy? also won seven national championships. Oh. Yeah. Um, anyway, listen to him. 
Do whatever he tells you to do and do not step out of line. I guarantee you that Nick Saban can win this game playing by his own rules or by Georgia's rules. If you are Alabama, you just do your job. You don't try and push. You don't try and stretch. You don't try and do anything outside of the norm, right? You are Alabama. You play Alabama's football, and you're going to beat Kirby Smart 10 times out of 10. Like It's true. I don't know what else to say. They can win in the fast games like we saw in the SEC Championship game, and they can even win in the slow games looking back to the double overtime game versus Georgia National Championship game in 2017 or 18 or whatever it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Alabama can do this. They can win. It's just the players need to understand Nick Saban has a plan. Stick to the plan. My life has a plan. <laughs> this is a primary song about it. Yes. My life has a purpose in heaven it began. Nick Saban told me to go rush the quarterback. And I got 17 sacks. Exactly. That's how it goes. Just like that. (laughs) Let's move on to a little bit of prop picks. We wanted to pick some unusual things for you guys. And, you know, we're going to post this on our Instagram as well. And maybe our Twitter as well. So make sure you check it out and vote with us. Yeah. So, uh, first one, who is going to score the first touchdown of the football game? I think Georgia's going to score first. Okay. And I think it's going to be Zamir White, their running back. Okay. Jit, that's a pretty good pick. I'm going with Bryce Young to Slade Bolden. Okay. Pass. He's a wide receiver. He showed up a lot in the in the Cincy game. Dude's good. In a couple casuals. Yeah, he's a lot better than people give him credit for. I'm going Bryce Young to Slade Bolden's first touchdown of the game. All right, now i got a question for you. Stetson Bennett. Does he throw more touchdowns to his tight ends or to his wide receivers? See, this is a tough one because they love their tight ends. Oh, yeah, they do. But Two very good tight ends on Georgia. Yes. I'm going with the wide receivers. They're going to have their Pickens guy, the guy that got that huge fist fight last year. Hilarious. <laughs> um, and I'm going that Alabama's going to sell out to, to cover those tight ends, especially in the red zone. Will Anderson, right? They're going to have him all over the field. So I'm going to go, he's going to throw more to his wide receivers than to his tight ends. Okay. I think Brock Bowers is just too good. I think he is incredible. I think he will have at least one touchdown catch in this game. I don't think Georgia is going to score a lot. So I think that Bowers and you know the other good tight ends on Georgia's offense, who are extremely good red zone threats, will score. Because I don't think Georgia is going to score vertically a lot this game. They are going to score within the red zone. It'll be to the tight ends. They're going to score more than the wide receivers. Let's be honest. A good tight end in the red zone is a quarterback's best friend, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In retro bowl, a good tight end is unstoppable. Oh, so good. You just wait for him to go (laughs) open over the middle every time. (laughs) First quarter total points, combined score. What are you going with? The over-under is 10.5. You going over or under? This is a completely real thing. People (laughs) actually bet Cheez-Its on... First quarter um, totals, kind of things. first half totals, third quarter totals, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I'm going to go with the under. Under okay. 10.5 points. Low scoring first half? I think it'll be at 7 or 10. Okay. If it was at 10 points, I would not know what to take, but 10.5, I'll take the under. All right. I'm going with the over. Oh. I think there will be two touchdowns scored in the first quarter. Both teams or both by the same team? I think it'll be 14-3 to for Alabama at the end of the first quarter. Oh, my. <laughs> but I, regardless, I'm taking the over on that one. All right. Well, if you think Alabama's going to be doing that well, how many passing yards do you think Bryce Young is going to have this game? I'm going to go 245. I think it's going to be a lot. I'm definitely taking a little bit lower than that. 
Bryce Young really struggled against Cincy at 188 passing yards. Alabama does have this thing where it tends to do better against Georgia just because they're Georgia. I think Georgia limits him to 212 passing yards. All right. So closest to the pin there gets that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All righty. Uh, defensive touchdown in the game, yes or no? No. You don't think so? No. Too many athletes on the field. Offense will be able to chase down the defense. Neither. If it, if it is, Alabama will score it, but Stetson Bennett has been doing a pretty good job of taking care of the ball. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't think so. Although, I would guarantee, like, two-plus turnovers, right? Even with these good teams. I'm, yeah, maybe. I'm thinking Georgia's defense, really good. If they can get to Bryce Young, they can force a couple turnovers. Absolutely. Uh, next one, who will be leading at halftime? I think Georgia. Okay. Not by much. It might be something like 14 to 10 or 10 to 7 or something like that. But I, I do think Georgia's going to be up. Okay. I'm going with Alabama, but I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a field goal or less at halftime. Okay. Who's going to cover the spread? The spread is currently Georgia minus 2.5. Kind of weird that the number three team is favored to beat the number one team. I know, right? Uh, especially with what happened in the SEC championship game. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Alabama. Okay. Uh, I'm going to withhold my pick for the winner because we're doing that later. But yeah. I think Alabama's covering that spread. Two and a half. I think Georgia covers the spread. I think well, two and a half points. That's your winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Georgia's my winner. I do think they're going to win this game by less than a touchdown. Okay. It's going to be three points. It's going to be six points. It's going to be something like that. If it, w- if it was anything over two and a half, I don't think I would take it, but I do like the two and a half. All right. Uh, well, I guess I'll say my winner. I got Alabama winning this one. Uh, I don't know if it'll be by one or by 50, but I don't think Nick Saban is going to lose to Kirby Smart, and I do not trust Kirby Smart to win this game. Yeah, that's pretty fair. I, I, like, Georgia can do it. They really can, but will they? And I'm saying no. Now, will the over or the under hit in this game? It is currently at 51.5. I have Georgia winning this game, and if Georgia's going to win, it's not going to be a high-scoring affair. Georgia cannot win in a shootout, so I'm kind of bound to take the under. Okay, so we're looking at kind of like a 26-21 game again, something like that, right? I think I'm going to take the under as well. Mm. I'm not sure how... Because 51.5, that's not a ton of points. No, it's not. But... Ton of points for an NFL game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I think I'm going to take the under as well. Just because I think Alabama's going to jump out to an early lead, and then Georgia's going to be like, wait a second, we actually have to play football, and then it's going to be close. So I'm going to go like 20. What's 28 plus 24? That's 52. Yeah, that's 52. That's that's over. All right, I'm taking the over then. He's taking I think the it's over. 28 to 24. I think that's my final score. I'm feeling it. All right. So don't bet. They built the spread just for you. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, most the, importantly, the classic bet. What color is the Gatorade? Justin, I have two answers. Okay. If Georgia wins, red. If Alabama wins, they'll just be water. <laughs> just water. Just water. Okay. Because uh, Nick Saban has been through this before. He's like, guys, don't get me sticky this time. Just, I don't think Nick Saban believes in sports drinks. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Very fair. Just pure water. <laughs> Maybe it's infused with some fruits or something. No, hopefully it's just ice because these guys are hydrating the whole game. Exactly. <laughs> just suck on some ice the whole game. <laughs> Put it in your mouthpiece. I am going with orange. I think it's going to be orange. 
Orange is a classic. Orange is a classic. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that wraps it up. I'm really excited for this game, actually. I was first not excited for it, but I am now. It's yeah. a lot at stake. I'm excited for it, too. It's going to be awesome. We love it. And this is college football. This is college football. It's the national championship game. It's the national championship game. <sighs> Gotta love it. It's kind of sad it's coming to an end, but oh well. It's not over yet. We don't have to have that conversation until next episode. <laughs> That'll come out next Tuesday. So let's uh, avoid that for now and just finish up the show by talking a little bit about our fantasy. Yeah. Fantasy um, football. So, uh, yeah, I have a couple gripes. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know who the manager of our group was. It definitely wasn't Jared. It wasn't me. Yeah, it was. But the league uh, standings, or what do you call them? The, yeah, the standings. The, yeah, the... What's the, the little sections? The east and west? Divisions. Yeah, the divisions, sure. The divisions were a little lopsided. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in the west, we had the hell bootleggers. Mm-hmm. My wife. Yeah. Uh, she went 7-7 seven and seven and won the division. Yep, number one. Yeah. Uh, in the east, the squeezers, the Stinkowiff squeezers, my team, went 7-7. Seven and seven, Same record. And I finished dead last. Yeah, last place. By a couple of games, too. <laughs> If you would have been just in the other conference, you would have been the number two overall. Yeah, and I would have been had a much better record, I'm guessing, too. Yeah. Although I don't really know how fantasy works, so. Yeah. I think you just play everyone. I don't think it matters. Doesn't matter. Okay. Well, I would have gotten a much better seed. I would have been in the actual playoffs instead of the loser-loser bracket, which is where I am now. Uh, but yeah, and then one last thing. Freaking Daniel. He... So I beat him. I go like 3-0 against Daniel in the regular season or whatever. And then we go to the playoffs and I'm playing Danny. And I just beat him by 50 the week before. I'm like, okay, this is okay. Then Danny goes out there, absolutely destroys me. First round of the loser's bracket. (laughs) And then I go to the other part of the loser's bracket and Danny scores 70 the next week. (laughs) I was like, come on! Of course. (laughs) So yeah, Danny knows how to get up for the good games. Yes, he does. All right, uh, for my fantasy gripes, I have none. Uh, regular season, I went 11-3. and three. I have since won my playoff matchup, and I am in the second week of the championship. I've never won a fantasy championship before, so I'm playing, Joe, playing Joe Ludlow. Uh, you remember Joe Ludlow? He came on. It was our very first guest, very first guest. On, the, on the show. Uh, I'm up by 37, just because I had Jamar Chase last week, who absolutely <laughs> went off and ca- carried my team on his back. My only gripe is that Jamar Chase might not play, so I'm having to restructure my team, and I, I just really hope I win this. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, and Joe kind of had your number the whole season, right? Yeah, Joe, I I'm, I went 11-3. and three. Two of those losses were to Joe. I played him <laughs> twice. I lost to him twice. I'm playing him in the championship. Hard to beat a good time. Hard to beat a good team three times. <laughs> yes, and fantasy football, it's a good team. Justin is going for the dub. Let's go. Okay, one last thing before we close. Okay. I have one question for you. Yes. Now that we've had some more time to think about it, how do we make bowl games meaningful? It's a good question. There are a lot of thoughts out there. Some say expanding the playoff. Some say decreasing the playoff, making it just two teams again. That's dumb. Yeah. I. It's, it's a hard question because I think bowl games are meaningful. I think they still are. They're just not meaningful to the teams 8 through 16, right? Because I watch uh, BYU play in a bowl game, 
and it was not meaningful to them because they were right outside the brink, right? Mm-hmm. We watched Kenny Pickett and uh, what's his name, uh, the canine guy from Michigan State, Kenneth Walker. They opt out because their bowl game isn't meaningful to them, right? right. You see uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave opt out for Ohio State, blah, 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 blah. I think expanding a playoff would help keep the top-tier playoff teams. I think it would keep them and keep their games, their bowl games meaningful. But I think the other bowl games that it's not going to touch, the Outback Bowl, Penn State, Arkansas, the other bowl game... Uh, the Alamo Bowl. The Alamo Bowl. That one's always fun. The What was the bowl game? Iowa and Kentucky. The Citrus Bowl, right? Those bowl games still are meaningful, I believe, in my heart, right? And so I think an expanding playoff wouldn't hurt those bowl games, but it would help the teams, you know, 16 through 5 have more meaning in their bowl games. I completely agree. Or do you just... Do the college football playoff rankings after bowl games? See, now that's an interesting point too. I I love that. That's interesting because then you have people like, oh, you know, I I, I better play because I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. Kind of interesting. Yeah. I guess we'll have to talk about it more next next episode because this episode's over. Sorry, guys. Yeah, it, yeah. We've <laughs> ranted for you guys to to you guys for enough. So. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. Make sure to check out our social media pages, Instagram and Twitter, at Loyal2RoyalPod. Make sure you DM us, tell us what you think of the show, banter with us. We absolutely love it. Also, make sure to leave a review, preferably five stars, fingers crossed. (laughs) And yeah, make sure to share this episode with your friends, download, and let's keep building this community. Go Kooks. Me, me, me. I'm trying to get our players to listen to me instead of listening to you guys. You know, all that stuff you write about how good we are and all that stuff they hear on ESPN, it's like poison. You know what I mean? It's like taking poison, like rat poison. (laughs) 